You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to The Buzz, brought to you by the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic, and today we're buzzing into episode 165, and uh, we got a whole palette of... Uh, actually, to be honest, we have a whole bunch of native plant stuff to talk about, but this is a little bit slimmer than we we're usually coming at you <laughs> Yeah, I, I just looked, and in the follow-up section, there's nothing. And I was like, do we have any follow-up? I don't know. Uh, we probably do, but nothing I can remember <laughs> that we needed to talk about. Uh, um, you know, one thing I was going to mention is we did get a lot of positive feedback on the road trip episode from mm-hmm. Mount Cuba yeah. and uh, how many people appreciated that one. I, you know, the one thing I do like about that is that they're really non scripted. We just take a microphone and go, hey, let's record. And it's really just off the top of our heads. Not that these are scripted, mm-hmm. but. Uh, I always kind of feel like we're a little goofier after a long day, yeah. <laughs> a long day, and we're on the ride home, and we're almost home. But uh, we appreciate all the the, the kind feedback mm-hmm. on that episode. Yep. Yep. We, yeah, we really do. And uh, and I know a lot of people. So their feedback was, "Oh, I'm already planning my trip to Mount Cuba Center." Uh, I can't encourage that enough. So if you haven't started planning, it's definitely something you should start planning. And uh, and like we yeah. said, it's it's worth even if you're not from this area. It's worth making a, a, a special trip to. You can tie in a, a yeah. bigger vacation, go to some of our East Coast beaches or, or something like that. But it is a place beaches. much worth. You mean seeing. the shore? I say beach. I'm <laughs> I'm gotta, from New Jersey, gotta, gotta so go down we down say the, shore. the beach. <laughs> uh, it's when you're not from New Jersey that you say you're going to the Jersey Shore. Going down so the shore. I wasn't even talking about the Jersey Shore. I was saying. Like Del- Delaware, Delaware beaches. Yeah, the Delaware beaches are, are also nice. So Rehoboth yeah. is a is a very nice family spot. Yep, yep. So. Awesome. Well, what do you think? Uh, since we're a little on the slim side, you want to just jump right into yeah. that's hot? Yep. All right. That's hot. All right. I didn't even look to see what you picked this week. What did you? Oh, oh, that's an interesting choice. You want to go first? No. Okay. I want you to go first. <laughs> <laughs> So my my choice, and, and this is a, a fan favorite anyway because it's in its full glory right now, is Slender Mountain Mint, which is Pycnanthemum tenuifolium, which uh, just started to to really hit full bloom. And it's one of those ones if you're in anywhere in its vicinity, you can see the amount of pollinator interaction that plant has. Uh, but from wildflower.org, actually on the Pinelands Nursery uh, page today, there was a, a really nice video of our seed fields mm-hmm. uh, posted yep. on uh, Mount Mint. But from wildflower.org, uh, this is a perennial that normally grows about two foot tall, can reach four foot in rich soils, clusters of small white flowers with blue or purple spots that will bloom June through September. Plants will start blooming once the plant reaches uh, one foot tall. So if you just planted it, you may not get blooms to the following year. It does like sun to part shade, can take moist to dry soils. It's pretty adaptable. It has a uh, uh, medium drought tolerance, native from Maine to Georgia, west to Texas, uh, north to Iowa. Uh, but all the good stuff, it attracts birds, butterflies, bees, and butterflies will both use the flowers. It's the larval host for the wavy lined emerald. Numerous animals will eat the leaves. Deer tend not to like it as much. I'm not saying they won't nip at it, but not as much as their favorite. 
Uh, you can dry the leaves for a nice tea, and you can even uh, kind of take the, the leaves and break them up and rub them on your skin because mm-hmm. mosquitoes don't like that minty smell. Uh, and the, actually, the for the tea, it's it's a not a strong tea, but it has a nice minty aftertaste. It's actually yeah. a very refreshing. I actually <clears throat> didn't think about it. I've I've had it warm. I would kind of like to try that as like just like an iced iced tea oh, to yeah. see how that would be. I'm sure it would be like very refreshing. Yeah, I would think <clears throat> so. I would assume the being cold, it would mute some of the flavors. Yeah, but and um, it's already kind of muted. It's yeah. not super strong, so but. Tastes maybe like, a mojito out of it. Yeah, do, maybe. Mountain mint mojito. Yeah. Ooh, I, that say that five times good. fast. Uh, <clears> yeah, I think mojito. if you did like mountain mint iced tea, it would uh, it taste like water that someone just put like a little <laughs> bit of toothpaste in. <laughs> not even the like not even the real tooth. They just they they brush yeah. their teeth and just it's a little little I'm I'm teasing. I just want to put a, a terrible image in everyone's minds. Of um, of a, your, that's the summer beverage this year. That's, yeah, like that's if what you were to do. if you were to dip your tongue in the uh, spit sink at the dentist, that, that might be that that oh. might be what it takes. Oh, no, I'm kidding. Yeah, it's actually stop with that. It's, <laughs> it's very refreshing, actually. Um, but the the other thing too, because it it can I don't want to. It's not aggressive, but it does colony form a little bit and you can divide the plants occasionally from prevent it from overwhelming a garden area mm-hmm. if you want but um i've seen it in multiple occasions now over the last like week or two and it's just always full with po- filled with pollinators and it's such a great plant and i know everyone that listens or most of the people that listen already know this but just it's always nice to to point it out yeah no it's it's definitely a great plant it's one uh I have slowly coming in my garden. I'd only put like one or two plants in, and just each year they get a little bit more, more vigorous. So, um, I got a question for you. Yeah, Let's get your opinion. So, our our gardens at home, the perennials are getting abnormally tall, mm-hmm. and it's they're in good conditions, like light conditions. Yeah. So they're not stretching because of that. But like, what would you say an average height of cone flower is? Purple cone flower, like three to four feet. Yeah, they're six foot tall. Interesting. But like yeah. huge, everything is getting taller than expected and then flopping. And at first I thought maybe they're not getting enough sun, but they're getting mm-hmm. enough they're getting enough sun. And then I found out that Agatha's been watering them every morning and every night. I'm like that, I think yeah. you're, you're you're treating them too good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say typically when you get stuff not that I'm an expert, but when you hear of stuff that's flopping, it's like getting a little too much water, like not a too, yeah. like way too yeah. much is gonna yeah. it's gonna stunt things, but a little bit too much will like make it stretch. And then um, and there's another thing that I was gonna say and completely forgot what, now, I was gonna, we <laughs> what were, it was gonna be. We were dry so, for a little bit, yeah, but and and now we're we're just starting oh, the to hit soil. The soil can be uh, more fertile, okay, and like sometimes it's just that first year. We've seen that with our seed fields where the first year stuff, like we had Menard officiolosa, yeah. which, again, I'll typically see somewhere between like three and five feet tall. That was well over six feet. And then yeah. the next year was four feet tall, and every year since it's been four feet tall. Like so, like uh, Verona Castrum right now, Culver's Root is seven foot tall. Mm. It, it's it's kind of crazy, and it's like we're just starting to hit like 90-degree weather here in New Jersey yeah. uh, where we're at. And but we've been getting thunderstorms mm-hmm. on and off for the last week and a half, 
And I was like, were you just during the drought watering every morning and every dusk? And she's like, oh, no, like yeah. all, all yeah. year. So yeah. I'm like, all right, yeah, I think you're you're treating them maybe yeah, <laughs> maybe yeah. a little too good because they're, they're so happy and growing so much that now they're mm-hmm. at the point where everything's just laying on top yeah. of each now, other. Now, the other thing I do, and now it's like actually prime time for round two of this, is I cut just about everything in my garden back. Um and I do, I treat it as a, a very informal experiment. Is like, will it live if I do, yeah. <laughs> if I do this? And um, most stuff does. I can, I know, um, I don't think it's, well, no, the Asclepias incarnata, which is a swamp milkweed, seems to be doing fine yeah. when, with that. Um, the one that doesn't seem to like it is, uh, is cut leaf clone, coneflower. That'll get like really tall. I you, cut those back. I'm, I'm going to see what happens. You and, have to do that really early. Yeah. Like really early. Well, I did that one okay. in, uh, so I did it right around Memorial Day. Okay. And then now is when I, I'm yeah. not going to do it to yeah. those again or the echinacea and stuff that's starting to bloom or has, yeah. is, is blooming. Um, but like goldenrods, asters, that kind of stuff. I'll do that now just so it doesn't get, like I have some asters that are five, six feet tall. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want them that tall. I want them a little. And especially yeah. when they're in front, you want them a little shorter. You know, especially so. the the last week with the thunderstorms and the hot weather, like everything was fine a week ago. It's the last week it stretched exponentially, mm-hmm. and the problem is the coneflower is just starting to bloom. Yeah. The yep. the uh, swamp milkweed is just starting to bloom. The mountain mint is blooming now. The mm-hmm. veronicastrum is just starting to bloom. So like everything is just hitting its prime, and yeah. I, I can't I can't touch it now. Yep. I could, yep. but I don't want to. So, yeah. all right. I just wanted your opinion. It really, really upset me a little. Not upset me, but I was disappointed because it was looking so good. And then all of a sudden, it yeah, just yeah, yeah. was so yeah. out of control. I was like, man. So, all right. So, you, you learn. I, that's, yes. that's from year to year, you learn and get a little better. I, I wouldn't call myself a gardener. Oh, me neither. Like, at no. all. Like, I'm, um, I literally throw things against, I, well, not the wall, against the ground and see what sticks. And see what what grows, and um, which is a, a little crazy, because I'm, then you have plants that shouldn't like I shouldn't say shouldn't be there, but it's like mm-hmm. oh yeah, I probably should have put that really small coreopsis in the front, not in the very back. Yeah, um, and this thing that's six feet tall should have yeah the eupatorium <laughs> <laughs> purpurium should have been in the back, not the front. We have the eupatorium, um, not purpurium. I think it's maculatum. That I have, where, where everyone's hollow stem Joe Pie. I, can't, I, I don't remember which one's which, but um, I have those, and I have them right up against the uh, foundation of my house, and they they're like eight feet tall, and they look awesome because now, now they're like three four years old, and they have so many flower heads. And I'll do just those. I just do a little trim on Memorial Day, just to kind of get them to branch a little more, because then you get more, in my experience, more flower heads on them. Um, I don't want. I like them being. I've trimmed them back harder, and found that they were. It made them too short. Gotcha. And so I like the how they get like six, seven, eight feet tall. I appreciate that, especially because they're in the very back, and it makes it a little bit more impactful because they do start to like flop over a little bit. So like the heads just hang down, and but they're like face the road a little more. Um, But I still want that branching, so I'll just be a little bit more selective and only. I don't want to say take the. Take the top six inches off because 
it's different every year. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. they're like when I trim them, they're two feet tall, and I'll probably only take the very, very tips off. And then other times they're closer to three and a half feet tall, and I'll take yeah. off a little bit, maybe a foot off. So um, I mean, realistic. It's very. I'm very judicious about how I. I'm. I'm saying that facetiously. Yeah. I am not. I. I just kind of eyeball and say, eh, that looks good. Yeah, I'm not like, oh, you need to do this much. I'm sure there is someone out there and, that knows how much to take off every time. And realistically, so. I want it to look more naturalized. Mm-hmm. Like I'm really yeah. – you You just saw my property. Like yep. it's it's leading to a natural area. I'm trying not to make it as manicured. I want it to be more naturalized which because the rest of the property mm-hmm. is – it's just – you know, I'm like I can do better. Yes. Yeah. Like I'm starting to, to have more interest in – in being better at that. And mm-hmm. it's nice that Agatha does too because we, we kind of do it together. Yeah. So yep. it makes it a little more fun. Yep. But. All right. What do you have? I yeah. Now now I've waited. Now I want to I wanna hear So uh, Yeah. So my plant is Junkus effusius, which is soft rush. Uh, not your typical price. garden yeah. plant. It's um, I, I, Frankly, I don't know anyone who would plant this as a garden plant. I guess if you had a rain garden that you wanted to be nothing but soft rush, you could plant this plant. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, it's not not going to be your normal selection, but uh, and that's actually kind of what I wanted to feature here. So I'll, I'll read what Jersey Yards writes about it, and they wrote that soft rush is a, a common is a grass like clump forming perennial, small greenish yellow to brown flowers bloom in June to August. When they say flowers, it's just like that it does flower. It's not. It's definitely not a showy flower, and. Um, the plants should be cut back in early spring. Use common rush in rain gardens and at edges of ponds or water gardens. It will tolerate several inches of standing water. Uh, this is just like a beast of a plant because it seems to be able to grow. As long as there's enough ground moisture, it'll grow. Yeah. And um, and it'll grow really, really well and almost take over. And uh, so I was blueberry picking on Saturday. And it was like coming up in between the blueberries. And like yeah. in some places in the, the more unkempt areas of the field, it was actually, like, taking over the blueberry. And blueberries can be pretty uh, yeah. assertive plants as yeah. well. Um, so, yeah, it was just, like, amazing watching these things bully blueberries <laughs> around and all this other stuff. Um, but it has a lot of, like, wildlife value yeah. because it can be <clears throat> such an aggressive plant and, uh, and really just, one, it prevents a lot of erosion control because it colonizes really, really yeah. quickly. And then um, then there's all these little nooks and crannies in between the clumps that are great, I'm sure, are great for frogs and ducklings mm-hmm. and all sorts of stuff, turtles, all sorts of stuff. So it's just a, it's a, it has its purpose. Yeah. Um, purpose is probably not in a blueberry field or in your garden, yeah. but it's just <clears> a, a really unique, uh, unique plant that can tolerate a variety of conditions. Likes to be on the wetter side. It's a nice ch- and, um, texture to add to a garden. It is, it, yeah, yeah. You know, if you had like one plant or two plants in a garden, you could keep it that way. Mm-hmm. It would be, you know, as they form the clump and they flower. It's a really interesting texture that you don't typically get. Yeah, that's kind of unique mm-hmm. to that. Now, I will say this: my old property, when I had lived there over twenty years, and there's that pipeline mm-hmm. easement. In the back of the yard, it was like a hundred feet easement. And when I first moved in, you could mow that, like you could mow yep. that property, and it had been mowed. And I thought it was turf grass, but eventually the hydrology changed to that mm-hmm. area, and it went from you could mow it later in the year, you could mow half of it this year, the other half was too wet. So it turned out to be lurid sedge, which actually made a, a decent looking lawn. 
and there were one or two – when it got to the point where you couldn't mow it at all, there were one or two soft rush plants. And by the time I moved, it was 50% soft rush. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. being able to come up flower. And it, it was – I found it interesting out competing Lurit Sedge in an area that they were both in their natural mm-hmm. conditions. So Yeah. And it's funny because it, I found out there's um some more of these uh, like garden center – uh, liner growers, so nur- nurseries that are growing plants to then sell to other nurseries are going to put them in bigger containers and then sell them to uh, sell them to garden centers that are growing soft rush yeah. for that purpose. So there's there is some I guess demand for this as a garden plant. It's a but, good rain garden plant. Yeah. Like we see it a lot being used in rain gardens and in natural areas. Now that I'm thinking about, it, I'm like, where can I? I I don't know that I have a spot in my yard, but mm-hmm. it would be kind of cool to incorporate a few. I think it would be a nice texture to yeah. have. So yeah. awesome! I, I, so, do you have a secret for this week, friend? I'm I, just thinking ahead. No, I, I mean, look, I don't think I do. I I have one that is literally the I, antithesis of your secret from last episode. <laughs> oh, so. really? all right, all right, awesome. Uh, I don't have one, but two great plants. Yeah. Uh really consider both of these if if you don't have either of them and you have the right conditions. I think I think in the right places both of these serve very important roles. Um so make sure you check them out and maybe add one mm-hmm. and I say we get into a little bit of this or that. Overwhelming winner this week. Overwhelming. Last buzz's articles were my article was on how um Plants are helping – native plants are helping clean up pollution in California. Tom's article was on saving moths. Tom hands down wins 19 to 5. There's a lot of moth lovers out there. A lot there, of moth lovers is, out there. Nice to see. Yes. Moths no. are underappreciated. That was basically what the article said. Yeah, so. and I, I think it's one of those things that, you know, as a kid, you just heard about moths being pests, mm-hmm. not pollinators. And I love the research that's going into – to. To start to learn how important yeah. moths are yeah, to our ecosystem. So you get to choose if you want to go first or second. Uh, I'll go second. Okay. All right. Sounds good. I'm just looking to see what your article is since you – okay. <laughs> That's That looks like a good article. All right. My article this week is called Rain Plays a Surprising Role in Making Some Restored Prairies Healthier Than Others. This is by Lars Brudvig. And this was on theconversation.com. I'm just looking to see how long it is. That's not too bad. I can read this whole thing. Prairies once covered an enormous area of North America but today have been reduced to a small fraction of this historical range. Imagine an area the size of Texas, the second largest state, shrinking over the course of decades to an area the size of Massachusetts. That's the sixth smallest state. Prairie grasslands produce a lot of benefits such as storing carbon in soil – providing habitat for wildlife and protecting the land from erosion. Government agencies, conservation organizations, and homeowners are working to restore native prairie ecosystems in many parts of the central U.S., but it's a daunting challenge. Often newly planted restoration sites end up covered with weeds. I'm an ecologist and have worked with other researchers for a decade to find most effective ways of restoring prairies in the Midwestern United States. Research we published in 2020 points to a reason why planted prairies can fail – one that few had considered earlier, the weather during the year they are planted. Ecological restoration improves the health of ecosystems that have been degraded. For example, returning water 
to drain wetlands or replanting heavily logged forests, it's an important strategy for tackling many of the world's most pressing environmental challenges. Researchers or research shows that repairing damaged ecosystems provides critical habitat for plants and animals. It slows the impact of climate change by drawing down carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere. It enhances uh, crop pollination, prevents soil loss, keeps fertilizers out of the waterway. For all of these reasons, the United Nations recently declared 2021 through 2030 to be the decade of ecosystem restoration. These projects can produce widely inconsistent results even on a similar site where similar techniques have been used. Researchers are starting to understand that restoration success depends on multiple factors, but why some projects succeed and others fail is largely still a mystery. We want to predict outcomes so that agencies can direct scarce funding to sites where the work is most likely to succeed. Before European settlement, prairies were the most expansive ecosystem in North America, covering much of the Midwest and Plains. Today, however, most of them have been converted to largely to farmland thanks to their fertile soil. Prairie grasslands are near, nearly extinct east of the Mississippi. As a result, a huge number of plant and animal species that once thrived in those regions have little habitat remaining. Some like Pauschik skipperling butterflies and prairie-fringed orchids are now at the risk of extinction. By spreading the seed of prairie plants onto old farmlands, land managers can restore these ecosystems. As new grasslands grow, managers periodically conduct prescribed fires and remove weeds with herbicides to promote the prairie plants. In time, insects and birds will return to restored prairies from nearby areas. I've been to hundreds of restored prairies. Strikingly, no two have been the same. Some are rich communities of prairie plants while others are packed with weeds. That is non-prairie plant species. This variation can be vexing to land managers who are seeking to restore prairies in particular ways for particular species. In past studies, colleagues and I have identified a number of factors explaining why no two prairies are alike. They include specific soil type, the number of plant species spread as a seed to initiate restoration, and the frequency of prescribed fires. These findings show that although restoration outcomes vary, at least they do so for reasons that are either easily known or under land managers' control. But our new research indicates that this isn't always the case. Land managers widely acknowledge that planting near weather can affect a restoration, but up to now, Few scientists had tested this idea. Restorations planted during rainy years should be more successful, meaning they will support a greater diversity and abundance of native plants that we see on the land. But it's hard to test this hypothesis because it requires many study sites planted under different weather conditions, differing weather conditions. Our team worked at 83 restored prairies in Illinois, Indiana, and Michigan that had been planted two to 19 months earlier. We recorded which plant species lived within each site, and then determine the weather conditions that affected each prairie during the year it was planted. Our results were surprising. We expected that rainy years would promote successful restorations, but instead they produced prairies with more abundant and diverse weeds. These effects were comparable to or larger than the influence of other important factors such as soil conditions, the length of time since the last prescribed fire, and the age of the product project. Weeds were more abundant in prairies that had been restored during rainy years as much as 19 years earlier. These sites had also relatively fewer native prairie plant species. Why would planting years ultimately lead or why would dry planting years ultimately lead to more successful restoration than wet years? Even though native prairie plants perform better with more water, as we are shown in a previous study, unfortunately weeds are super responders to water. We suspect that this explains why they gain dominance and suppressed prairie plants during wet planting years. Our results show that land managers need to guard against detrimental planting planting year weather conditions, 
a challenge that is likely to become increasingly important in the future. Climate change is increasing springtime rainfall in the Midwest, which may particularly benefit weeds. To manage the weed burden during wet planting years, managers can mow frequently, repeat seed spreading in a later year, or even avoid planting during anticipated high rainfall years. Humans can't control the weather, but understanding how weather affects restorations can help managers maximize projects' chances of success. So I wouldn't have – like I I started – when I read it the first time, I was trying to think when they were saying weeds were more abundant and rainy things. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, most of these are drier season plants. They need to stretch deeper, get – have maybe the roots mm-hmm. weren't stretching as deep. They weren't as vigorous for – other environments later on but it's i hadn't thought that the conditions just better suited weeds because i don't think of prairies being places with a lot of rainfall yeah yeah i think historically they aren't but for plant establishment you'd still want i think you'd still need of like rainfall. i know when you we're need doing to stuff alive, like, oh, yeah. we need to keep things fairly wet um but then it is true you're also kind of shooting yourself in the foot because you're promoting you're you're also watering the weeds when, yes. when you irrigate or, or you have uh, rainfall, so um, which makes things tricky. So that's uh, I I I'm interested to see what the long term success looks like, and if having more rainfall while it did promote more it, in that first year while it did promote more weed pressure, also you had a healthier pro prairie overall as long as that weed pressure was managed yeah now i i would imagine also if you were to go back 200 years there's more introduced weeds oh yeah now that play a role than there were then Mm -hmm. and obviously you already have established prairies that have already out competed a lot of the introduced things but so i i understand that there's more factors in establishing it because there's there's more to compete against it but I hadn't thought of climate change as, fact, as a factor of changing the rainfall in those specific areas. And they're not saying it's year to year. They're just saying – or it's not every year. It's some years mm-hmm. are more rainy yeah. than others. But it's – imagine having a restoration postponed because it was too rainy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that doesn't – That's not something we We're we've looking seen. the other way, yeah. <laughs> It's, <laughs> that's not something I've I've experienced here mm-hmm. with a customer saying, "Hey, we need to push that off because it's it's just we're getting rain." Yeah, you know, typically yeah. that's like, "Hey, we're getting rain, we're good to go." Yeah, it's when you you're getting like multiple inch rainstorms one after another. That's when it pushes the, yes. <laughs> the rain. Yeah. Yes. But, but I guess this is also like rain after establishment. But that's are we really that good at? Like I'm not a, a weather – I follow the weather very closely, yeah. but I don't follow it at like into – like well, well into the future. So like are we really that good at projecting if it's, oh, this is going to be a heavier rain year? I'm, this is, I'm asking people we, who are listening uh, to write in about this. Uh, are we that good at projecting, oh, they, we're going to have a lot more rain this year than last year? I feel like they the – the farmer's almanac is like, oh, we're going to have more snow, and it, I don't know if it lines up or not. I, I, I feel like increasingly, especially this summer so far, we've been getting a chance of thunderstorms, and I, I realize that happens every year. You mm-hmm. hit certain humidity and temperature. But if you look at a weather app, it was changing 
by the minute. Yeah. Like, oh, rain is 45 minutes away. Oh, rain is two minutes away, and it's going to last an hour. It's only going to last five minutes. You know, I was – we got caught in a rainstorm <laughs> coming mm-hmm. – walking home from an event the other day, and it wasn't supposed to rain for another half an hour. And five minutes later, we were stuck in a downpour under a tree, and then it was saying it's going to last for 45 minutes. So we decided to run home, and we got halfway home, and it had already passed. Yeah. And I'm like, I (laughs) like, if we can't predict that, can we predict that one year is going to be rainier? Yeah. I, I wouldn't want to. There's a lot of, I know it's volatile. I I, I realize. Well, I'm saying there's a lot of jobs that are relying on this. And I don't, I don't, I can't think of anyone who would be willing to make that gamble. Whether, and I'm not just private industry, but if you're working for Army Corps of Engineers, you have a job. um, And then there's a whole bunch of team that is, uh, also has jobs with all those uh, nonprofits and federal organizations, state organizations that would be on this. And now it's like, oh, yeah, we, it's, it, the Almanac says it's going <laughs> to rain a lot. <laughs> and, and I realize you may only get yeah. one shot at this and you yeah. need to make the money. Exactly, the funding yeah. go as, as far as you can. The, yeah, the money is, is, yeah. So I don't know how you use it practically, I guess is some of what I'm thinking. It's great I think to it's know. interesting. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting information saying, okay, if this – if this happens, but we need to re- yeah. we need to oversee later on, or we need to yes. do some. I think it's more interesting spraying. as it's happening, not for foresight. I think we're looking at foresight um, than than I, I don't know. There's what if things don't happen yeah. how it was projected? Um, either way, yeah. Like it's. I think it's like okay, we've been had this. I think it's really good information to say. Oh yeah, when we know we've had ten inches of rain in April, May, and June, we know we need to do another seeding, yeah. and we need to know know we need to have this weed maintenance routine. We only have five inches; we can forego the weed maintenance and some of the yeah. other stuff. Um, I think that's a really useful tool. That would be useful. So, it's it's knowledge is power. It's yeah. always great that this research is being yeah. done. It's how are you able to apply that that research? I think on this one is the tricky part, yeah. but. It was interesting just to see that, that they're thinking about that, that hopefully it can lead to better prairie mm-hmm. restoration success. So Yeah. There's um, <laughs> this is like a really weird uh, thing that just popped in my mind. Do you ever watch the, the Netflix show Space Force that had Steve Carell in it? No. I know I know of the show, but I never watched it. But uh, one of the early on scenes, they were going to launch this rocket in the newly formed Space Force, and... Um, a bunch of the scientists were saying, oh, no, we can't do the launch today. The weather's not right. It's like it only has like a 60% chance of actually working, something like that. And uh, they have all the scientists out there kind of giving Steve Carell, who's in charge of the Space Force, uh, the last spiel on why they couldn't launch this rocket today. And um, and they're saying why it's not going to work, all this and that. And uh, Steve Carell then says... No, we're going to do it. This is like the last chance we have to do it. We have to do it yeah. today. And everyone's really upset because they don't think it's going to work. And then uh turns out it does work. And someone asked him, well, how, how come you went against the judgment of the scientists and did it anyway? And he's like, well, there wasn't a cloud in the sky, and the one guy was holding an umbrella. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, the one guy who's trying to convince me is holding an umbrella. So, like, if you're going to be that well, – you can't always be that cautious – yeah. Um, I think that that's not – this isn't the same thing. It's just, no, I don't I know, as we're reading this, it popped in my mind. But it's – yeah, I think it's – It's a contributing factor that you yeah. should at least consider. You're you're constantly weighing risks 
in a restoration. Um, and if I re- you, yeah, I realize. I mean, we've had jobs pushed because of drought. You, you know, and that makes sense. Like, I don't think the the plants are going to establish. They're going to die before they establish. We can't do this now, or we have to accommodate with water. It's yeah. just interesting. It's you can accommodate for drought, but it seems a little harder to accommodate the other way because oh, you just yeah. don't know. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you get too much rain. It completely destroys everything you did. Yeah, um, drought. At least you can come in. It's sometimes you can come in and irrigate. Drought can con- completely ruin what you did as well. You, so, you need that balance. You yeah. need you need the root stress to to go deeper. You need the 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 moisture to get the flushes. It's it's a delicate balance. It's just hard, completely controlling something that's yeah. out of your control. Yeah, <laughs> I feel bad that I've. I feel like if Lars listens to this, he's going to be like, "Oh, why do they rip?" Apart my no, heart? we're not ripping at all. <laughs> no, it's fantastic. I think it's research. really interesting. Yeah. I got hung up on one little part there. I think this is really, really fascinating yeah. stuff. And contrary to what I would think as well, uh, and me as well. And I wouldn't have thought that. It's just how do you how do you factor a lot of this yeah. stuff in? And I think it's hey, let's go back and recede. Hey, we need to do this. Yep. It's at least mm-hmm. maybe now in some of these grants or funding, you can factor some of those things. Like we need to have enough funding if we need a supplemental overseed, if we need someone to spot spray. Yeah, that's that's good to know that so you can account for that ahead of time and at yeah. least have a backup plan. How would you take this into account as a home gardener? That's a good question. That's a good question because say you buy seed, you need to put seed down. Seed viability, you have to have a way to store mm. it properly, and you can lose viability of some species over time, especially if not stored properly. I I think it's the same thing when you plant in a rainy spring and then you get a drought summer. Like like you, you buy a little extra seed or you maybe you ha- – if you're a home gardener, you pull the weeds. <laughs> Yep. You know what I mean? It's you're not dealing with hundreds of acres. Mm-hmm. You're dealing with yep. with yep. small portions, so you could probably be a little bit more hands on and yeah. put a little more. It's going to take a little bit more elbow. What I did really like in there, the advice is saying just mow it more often. That's that's a great way to combat with weed pressure in a meadow seeding or prairie seeding. Is that first year, and you're not you're not mowing it like a lawn where you're doing it like yeah. two and a half to four inches. Six to twelve inches high. Um, you're kind, and you might be going up as the year goes on, but that's some of your annual weeds or uh, your faster growing weeds. You're knocking the tops off all the time. Yeah, and like that that big blue stem that that first year might only get a few inches tall, or if it even germinates, yeah. it's only going to get a few inches tall. You aren't touching that, and if you do, just knock off the the very top. It's going to rebound because most of the plant was yeah. unscathed. Where something like mare's tail, which is another yeah. native plant, you're chopping half the thing off, yeah. which it's that's still going to rebound too. But if you're just doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it and letting those native plants catch up, um, keeping the weed pressure from forming a canopy that first year is that's if you're doing this, that's the best in my mind. One of the keys to doing it yeah. is monthly just going through yeah. and doing a high mow, which is still again, you're doing it with it. At home, you're doing it with a weed whacker. You're not yeah. using your conventional yeah. lawnmower. I don't know how you're getting a deck to put some big monster truck tires yeah. on your <laughs> lawnmower. Then you can get yeah. a 12 inch mow in. But the, but the hard part with some of those species is, I think a big. You mentioned big blue stem, and big blue stem isn't really long lived. It needs yeah. to recede. So if you're knocking it down, maybe you're not getting 
any receding that first year. Not that everything's going to yeah. flower. But that first year, first yeah, year. you're not even going to get. Yeah, that's true. You probably won't even that's get true. seed off. Yeah, that's true. Um, so it's uh, it's like year two or three is probably when you're when you're starting. You'll, to, two, you'll yeah. get a little bit of seed. We're, we just did this is is one thing with big blue stem, and the first year you wouldn't even know when we put it in. Ah, uh, okay. All year right. two. You still really wouldn't even know we did anything, except we did one of those mows around like six inches tall, and you can see the rows. Like okay. you can see that yeah. we planted it, yeah. and it's in rows. So, um, and I'm sure, yeah, some of it got mowed back, but at least we can see it worked. And now next year is when we're really if expecting to have off, yeah. a big, uh, a big flush of those plants, and then. Um, and be able to start collecting seed off of them. Nice. So very cool. Very cool. All right. Yeah. What do you have? All this, right. Mine is uh, less of an article and more of a an information page from right. a website. But I think it just got put up. Uh, at least it was the first time I saw it, and it was from a, a resource I really like called the Wild Seed Project, which is out of Maine. And um, this woman Heather McCargo, who oh I, yeah. If anyone from the Wild Seed Project listens to this. Tell Heather to email us because I've reached out there at least twice <laughs> to have her on, and uh, and I haven't heard anything back. I know I have the right email because she. Well, you know what it could be. She's bought stuff from my retail business, okay. And she could be like a lot of people are nowadays, where they have an email specifically for buying stuff, so they don't get all the spam that comes afterwards. Yeah. And maybe that's why she's not seeing it. I do hmm. that on my social media. Yeah. That's why she hasn't responded to me. I, I'm convinced <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what it is. That's what exactly is. what it is. But um, but so if yeah, if anyone knows uh, Heather or people from the Wild Seed Project, or you're involved with that, we some it's a organization we want to feature on our podcast. So uh, so please reach out to us. Yes. And um, but they had a, a they have a bunch of different resources on there, but one of the ones I just saw was called Navigating the Nurseries: A Resource Guide, and I kind of want to go through what they wrote. Awesome. And because I think it's a lot of really really good advice. Uh, for people who don't necessarily know the questions to ask of their nurseries. And um, and then I want to give some of my thoughts, because I agree with 95% of it, but there's a couple points as a nursery where I'm like, eh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to disappoint people, so I don't know if you do want to uh, go down that path. So All right, cool. Um, so I'll read it, and then I'll give some more of my thoughts afterwards. So uh, nurseries are busy operations with lots of moving parts and varying levels of knowledge across different positions. It is important to note that a nursery may be too busy to answer your questions or may not have all the information you're looking for. Don't discount a nursery entirely if they cannot answer all of your questions. Be mindful of how busy they are and other environmental conditions like the time of year. Additionally, larger seed-grown native plants take a long time to establish, so you can expect them to be hard to find or uh, may cost more. Native plants support wildlife, so they may look a bit imperfect, and that's okay. It's not uncommon for native plants to have holes from bugs who feast on the leaves or to be altered by wildlife that lives among them. Lots of native wildlife is co-evolved with native plants and prefer to associate with these plants. Uh, generally, this does not cause harm for the plant and is just one of the many ecological services that native plants provide. At a nursery, it is not always clear how plants are sourced or what growing practices are used, making it difficult for native plant enthusiasts to find responsibly grown native pl- or native-type plants. Use this guide to help direct your nursery research and consider looking out for these things and asking these questions when you go to buy native plants. Uh, first question, are your are plants nursery propagated plants and or are the seeds collected responsibly? Many slow-growing native plants found in nurseries are wild collected, meaning they were removed from nature, which can harm the local native plant populations. Similarly, collecting seeds from the wild in excess can deplete lo- local native plant populations and potentially destroy them altogether. 
Selling wild collecting plants and seeds that are not responsibly collected is unsustainable at a commercial scale. Opt for nurseries that specify how their plants are propagated to avoid purchasing wild dug plants. If a nursery manager cannot tell you how their plants were propagated or how seeds were collected, consider looking for other vendors. Also consider who you're talking to at the nursery. It's important to be considerate of people's time and their varying levels of expertise and knowledge. Uh, what are the nursery's pest management practices? A common but often detrimental pest management strategy is the application of pesticides. Pesticides include a wide range of chemicals that are applied to control pest populations, including animals, insects, uh, animals and insects. In particular, systemic pesticides are often used in nurseries and persistent plant tissues long after their initial application. The broad use of pesticides can potentially cause irreversible damage to the ecosystem as well uh, as human health concerns. Um, there are many pesticides in use today with varying degrees of toxicity, so determining whether or not a nursery uses them and which ones they, uh, which ones they use can be difficult. It can also be helpful to start by asking specific questions. A good first step is to ask if they, uh, next page, use neonicotinoids in their growing practices to manage insect pests. Neonicotinoids are a type of systemic pesticide used in agriculture to protect seeds, soil, and plants, as well as in household settings on lawn and in gardens. This pesticide affects the nervous system of pollinators and can alter their ability to find food, ultimately damaging pollinator populations. This is a special concern when planting natives because of their unique relationship with specialized native pollinators. Uh, next question is, are the plants grown from seed? Seed-grown native plants continue or contain genetic diversity that results in variation between individual plants. This variation allows plants to maintain different capabilities to cope with environmental stressors such as heat, drought, flooding, and other disturbances associated with a changing climate. Genetic variation is a species-specific strategy for adapting to the unknown environmental conditions of the future. Through native plants grown through cuttings or divisions do not have uh, the same genetic diversity of seed-grown plants. They still support wildlife and are often a good second option when seed-grown plants are unavailable. Seed-grown native plants are a great option when looking for smaller plants. If larger, especially woody plants are desired, vegetatively grown cuttings are a good second option that allow plants an advantage and produce larger plants but include less genetic diversity. Uh, next question is, are plants labeled to clearly distinguish cultivars from naturally occurring species? Many of the plant species available in nurseries are cultivars that have been bred based on traits that are deemed desirable by humans but do not consider the needs of wildlife. Cultivars are often identical clones that lack genetic diversity, making them potentially less equipped to thrive in dynamic climate with added environmental stressors. Cultivated varieties of native plants may still provide benefits and are a good second option when straight, piece, straight species of native plants are unavailable. Uh, next question is, does the nursery label and track the origin and plants of seeds? This allows customers to know the origin of the plants they buy and allows them to be more informed shoppers. Uh, the second to last question is, are plants grown in peat-free potting soil? Peat is a finite, non-renewable resource that stores, car uh, stores carbon and is often used in potting mixes to increase water and nutrient absorption. When peat is harvested for use in agricultural settings, we consume the resource at rates faster than it can be replenished, and large quantities of carbon are released, which uh, contributes negatively to climate change. If possible, ask your growers what their potting mix is made of and opt for peat-free soil when available. If you can, can't find a peat-free alternative, don't be discouraged. This is a developing concern in the early stages of being researched, so peat-free alternatives may not be readily available. And the last question is, does the nursery highlight and label the selection of native plants? This can make it easy for consumers to identify native plants. It, it's yeah. a good resource. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, it really is. It's kind of like listing out a standard operating procedure of, of what to do exactly when going in. It's just what level of 
security are you going to take going into it before yes. you walk away? Exactly. Yeah. And, I think and, it's they're all good questions to ask. And that's why I wanted to highlight yeah. this. These are the things that when I'm thinking about putting plants in my own garden, um, <laughs> this is stuff I want to ask. The the one thing I immediately think of when I read this is if I went to most garden centers around me. I don't think they know. They're not going to know I, the I, I don't think they know the answer <laughs> they're to not most of this. Any of this. Um, because they're, a lot of those Multiple folks sources. are, are seasonal, yeah. uh, seasonal employees. True. You have a number of different plant sources. They aren't the ones necessarily growing the plants. Um, so you're not going to be able to get that answer there. And it's just the, the if you go to a garden center, you're not going to get that. Now you yeah. go to an, a specifically native plant nursery. They know. Um, or they know a good portion. They're going to tend to be a smaller operation. They're going to know. They may grow most of it themselves. Yeah. Yep. And, and even if it's not the individual who did the growing, they'll kind of know the the general practices they uptake. Like I, for, for us. Um, not that you can come here and buy plants from us, but we I I can't tell you exactly where we collect the seed from our plants, but I know our protocols for collecting seed are we're not taking too much of the population. We're collecting from multiple, uh, multiple areas, multiple populations, um, as to not diminish that. It is seed collected from a local area. We're genetic, capturing as much genetic diversity as we can without over-collecting. Um, and I get this question, but like, oh, well, where was this the seed for for this highbush blueberry collected? And I'm like, well, I couldn't tell you that. Actually, with that one, it's a cutting. But, yeah. <laughs> but, but no, I couldn't no, tell you we, exactly where. But I know it's probably within 25 miles of our nursery. We, we kind of limit up like when we give in, in for wholesale, when we give our customers information because you don't want to give up your sources either because you don't want other people going out and collecting where you just uh, sustainably collect it and maybe over collecting mm-hmm. or all of a sudden people are like, we're going to go here and get seed. Yeah. So you're a little protective that way. We limit it to the county. That county's the all-in-one eco region, mm-hmm. um, which makes it at, at least it's a good enough yeah. answer. Yeah. Um, here's the the great thing about this list: if you're a local garden center and you don't know these answers, and you get ten people in a week coming in and asking you these questions, then you're going to start thinking about this more moving forward I think as a business. Start thinking about it, but I don't. I from a garden center perspective, yeah. I don't feasibly think they could get those answers. Oh, that's, that's true. And then have them uniformly represented throughout their staff. Yeah. I mean, some things, if you see a bunch of proven winter yeah. containers, you know, you know, a large portion of these are cultivars, they're clones. Mm. Yeah. Like you can see just from the marketing yeah. and knowing a but little again, bit about But again, that's just because you see it in a proven winter container. Doesn't mean, or a I, Bailey's, doesn't I agree. necessarily mean it's a, a non-native or a bad I, that's plant. A, that's a great, it's, uh, I agree. It's, um, so and that's where it gets a little dicey. It will probably be a cultivar. I think it would have to be a cultivar yeah. if it's in in one of their containers. Um, but that doesn't like it could still be a wild type cultivar. So you're going to lack that genetic diversity, yes. but it doesn't mean that it was. It might be a good second option. Yeah, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that it was uh, uh, something that was bred into existence. Everyone's yeah. going to have varying degrees of acceptance. Mm-hmm. But it's good yeah. to ask those questions and figure out what your rule of thumb is and what your line of acceptance is to move forward. Yeah. I think asking these questions of garden centers that don't know, maybe 
maybe they change yeah. where they buy some of the stuff. Maybe they do a native section and say, hey, we we don't know all of this, but we do know mm-hmm. these and we'll separate these out. Yeah, I think the more growing awareness, the more people ask, the more it changes people's business. Mm-hmm. And and slowly over time, hopefully that makes a difference. Yeah. It makes a difference on who's, who's buying the plant. Oh, yeah. like, and, and now I will say, and again, this is not written necessarily for garden centers. That's just the the traditional buying option for a lot of people. And probably a lot of people's only access to plants, but uh, specifically native plants, unless you're going to get in the car and drive. Sometimes it's a couple hours. Yeah. Um, there's more and more of these native nurseries that are popping up, but they're, we don't grow everything. And most people aren't growing everything. If they are, they're growing it in fairly, or I shouldn't say no one's growing everything. But with they, even when they do have a wide plant palette, it's typically in pretty small yeah. increments. Yeah. Um, like in the, the tens. Um, so it's, uh, it's tricky. I, I was going to go somewhere else with that thought, but, but I don't remember where it was. But there are, you know, you may never get all the answers. Yeah. Um, but there are some key indicators. Like if you walked in and saw one plant in a proven winner's pot and one plant in an American Beauty's mm-hmm. pot, even if you don't yeah. have all the answers, you probably know that you're a little better off with the American And Beauties. that's one of the, the really great things about American Beauties. Um, and, again, I have, I have zero relationship with American Beauties other than that I know the people that started it. Some of the people that, that grow it, it yeah. And some people yeah. that grow it. Yeah. We, don't, we don't mess with them at all. Um, but that's one of the things I really appreciate as I found more about the program. Because I, I didn't understand it at first either. I thought it was just, oh, these are... All cultivars, who knows where they came from. Yeah. But the the behind the brand was it, they wanted it all to be wild-type cultivars. Didn't want it in any big box stores. Wanted to go to independent garden centers, which I think is another yeah. admirable I, thing that I they're do doing. Um, it's in, set, in essence, that means you're supporting small business. Um, and uh, it doesn't necessarily mean it's local ecotype. You're not going to have that same genetic diversity. But a lot of this stuff has been trialed, whether at the growers themselves or the people behind American Beauties or even some of the stuff from Mount Cuba is in this program. And um, so you know it's going to be garden-worthy. So not I wouldn't say it's restoration-worthy, but it's going to be garden-worthy. And um, I think now you have a brand where I can walk in and see that pot and be pretty confident it's going to meet most of the, the qualities that I'm looking for. As a as an entering native plant gardener. Now, if I'm becoming more of a native plant purist, it's funny that all my articles end up tying to our, our this or that's later. <laughs> yeah. Or, or take it or leave it. Leave take it. it or leave it, um, yeah. If you're a native plant per- purist, yeah, that's you're – you're, you're probably going to have slim pickings out of the American Beauties line that yeah. fit the criteria you're actually looking for. But as someone who's getting into native plants, now I can go and – they have the signage. They have the labeling. They have um, basically that brand recognition that you can get. Well, I can walk up to that and be pretty confident I'm going to get something that's local to where I am um, or, or native to where I am. Um, going to perform well in my garden and and just overall work for me and kind of hook me a little yes. bit more into this. Um, so I think it's it's a really, really good thing. 
from for a starting point, yeah. at least at the very least. I, I overall I have I think American it's, Beauty it's really plants great. in my garden. Yeah, um, going back to like the pest management practices is that's one where again, if you go to a, like a small local native plant nursery, if you're lucky enough to have one close to you, that's one where you can find folks that are doing completely pesticide free. Um, it would be a really difficult question for a garden center to answer because, again, you have plants from all over the place. And on top of that, thinking of someone like Daryl with Sunset yeah. Farmstead, who we reference a lot, he's not starting a lot of the plants himself. He's yeah. buying in a lot of these plants from us and all these other vendors and then uh, then sending them to garden centers primarily. Well, he's what? completely pesticide-free, yeah, but we aren't. And a lot of the other places he's getting the plants aren't. So he can't claim the plants are pesticide-free because they weren't at one point. They are now. And you're usually going to have uh, the life. Pesticides are a very fascinating uh, and scientific thing. where And they're very misunderstood. Um, the lifespans on a lot of these are fairly short. So you have something and, okay, it was treated with X, Y, or Z at our nursery, and then it goes to another nursery. It sits there for three months. The The half-life is, like, way over on some of this stuff. Um, so it's – it's and a lot of the stuff will, br- like, break down molecularly, and then it's just – it's what the molecules were, and they'll rebind to other stuff, and it's not – it's no longer a thing, um, which I think is a concept that, that does get m- – is misunderstood and gets played out in the wrong ways. You look at systemic pesticides, they have a they do have a lot longer lifespan, but it's not always infinite. Um, and then I've mentioned it before with the neonicotinoids. Yeah, they're definitely bad for yeah. for not just I I always hate that it's always uh, framed around like bees and butterflies because it's that's not what you can avoid impacting the bees and butterflies with neonics and systemic pesticides. Yeah. What you can't avoid is the larval stages of those yeah. things. So if you had a, a milkweed plant, you could time up the spray where there would be no, uh, I don't want to say no, but limited negative impact to no negative impact on a demonic butterfly that's coming and feeding off the flower. It, I don't think it's possible to time it up where you would have no negative impact no, on or limited negative impact on the caterpillar that's going to be eating that plant. Yeah. The, and it would get rid of the aphids too. But yeah. That's where it gets tricky with the neonics, and there's a lot of other systemics that aren't neonics that, um, that like like I've mentioned before, can be, uh, in my opinion, and, and a lot of other uh, uh, nursery people who are applying this stuff's opinion can be worse, but they just don't have the the name recognition as neonics do. Yeah, and we just had a conversation with another nurseryman, not not about pesticides, but just oh, they're changing the name on this one. Yeah, uh, and it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be, you know, be used for this. Yeah, you know, yeah. but it's the same thing. And it's uh, you know, it's, it's such a tricky. <laughs> and oh, it's yeah. so much to navigate and know. Yep. I don't even yep. know how you navigate yeah. it. And it's like, so there's a lot of uh, Roundup gets a lot of flack, and Monsanto uh, that is now Bayer gets a lot of flack, but. Like when we, because we spray weeds around the nursery to keep aisleways clean. We got to keep a lot of our roadways and aisleways clean because if you let the weeds come up there, you can't hand pull them all. Uh, there's just not enough hours in the day to hand pull them all. That weed seed. And if it gets. comes up too much, then the weed seed 
will go into all the other plants, and then you have groundsel and all this other crazy stuff coming up in pots, and then you're spending a lot of time hand-weeding there because you can't go and spray that with a, a, a chemical like Roundup, which is glyphosate. But um, we've never bought Roundup. We've bought Mikazi, which is an off-brand glyphosate, and there's I've got to be 20 different yeah, <laughs> names, yeah. if not more, for for glyphosate that aren't Roundup. So it's another thing to consider is that just because you know the the brand name doesn't necessarily, and then you don't recognize this other name doesn't necessarily mean it's not exactly the same thing or or worse. So yeah, it's um, but it, I don't. I wouldn't expect to go into my garden center and say, oh yeah, what's the pesticide regimen on? Yeah. I need your pesticide cycle. I need the provenance down to the city (laughs) or to the to the township that they're collected from. But I'm and I'm thinking of places like um, like Earth First uh, Nursery down in in Atlantic County, right? Um, Or uh, Toad Shade or or Wild Ridge. um, There's a everyone has. I shouldn't say everyone because I just said not everyone has those local native nurseries. But a lot of people have those more local native nurseries that are relatively small. Um, they're doing a lot of wild seed collection. They're not digging plants, and they can afford to not uh, not yeah. spray a lot of their stuff. And because they're and they're out there every day, um, and they can be very meticulous with with that. And a lot of these places do mail order, so yeah. it's it's a little easier than it used to be. Yes. Still not ideal like maybe it's not the right provenance for you but you're finding something that was uh seed collected and they didn't use pesticides yeah you know it's it you may not be able to check everything off the list it just is going to depend on your varying degree of yeah what's acceptable yeah it's but that's it's one of the interesting things and this is one of the reasons i chose this too this article too is um you'd still need to ask these questions because the for some reason People just assume because you're growing native plants that you're growing them. They'll they'll usually say organically, but they mean pesticide free. Yeah. Um, which that again is a make sure you know that there's a yeah. difference there. That organic does not mean pesticide free; just means you're using organic pesticides. Um, and that's typically, from my experience, being in this industry and visiting a lot of places, that's typically not the case. Um, if you, you'll have a better shot of finding that when you go to these small, uh, like mom and pop native nurseries that are, are doing stuff locally, like the ones we just mentioned. And I, I don't know exactly what they're doing, but I would now here I am assuming (laughs) that they're not, they're not doing that, but it's just, those are the places. If you ask those questions, those kind of people are going to have an intimate knowledge of what they did because they're working with those plants every, they're the ones that are going out seed collecting. They're the ones that are, are handled they that potted everything and, and germinated it and then potted it up and grew it in bigger and bigger and bigger and now they have like a just a more intimate relationship with those plants and they know exactly what they did yeah so, no, fantastic yeah. article two good articles and on monday it the uh poll will be up and you can choose tom's article with the uh guidelines for uh navigating uh native nurseries the resource guide or my article on how rain plays a surprising role in restored prairies. Yeah, we didn't even get to talk about Pete. 
No. We already talked about Pete a lot. <laughs> we could say yeah. that. That is another what? one. Like a, Maybe that could be a take I'll, it or leave it. The one thing later. I'll add with the we've already done is a take it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> have we done Pete? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was one have. of the first ones. Yeah. But one, the one thing I'll add about that that question in particular, and they they did a great job writing out yeah. there. Ask the question, expect them to to be like, oh, no, it has Pete in it. Because that yeah. is just such that is such a modern modern thing that's happening right now. Yeah, where people are looking at these peat bogs across across yeah. the northern hemisphere, um, and saying, "Hey, the, yeah, this is this is emitting a lot of sequestered carbon." Yeah, when we dig these, it's re- I don't know what this definition would be. It's a renewable resource, but it's being dug depending on who you ask. It's being dug faster than it can be renewed. You talk to some of these the professors that are working with this, or or the the people who are do managing the bogs themselves. They're like, oh no, it's being renewed. Come up here and we'll show you <laughs> that it, that it's yeah. okay. But um, but here's the but here's you're the, just looking into wood fibers and and paper products and these substitutes that are becoming more popular. Hey, our our uh, one of our mix vendors that we work with. I just got an email two weeks ago saying. Oh yeah, next this is the last year we're selling a mix with peat in it because the price keeps skyrocketing. We're looking at renewability concerns. Our customers less fewer and fewer of our customers are looking into other alternatives. We developed a wood fiber based product that we want to try or that we we know works. We've had it university tested and we're switching to that. So like I was saying, when you go to your your place where you're buying plants and you ask that question, expect them to say, "Oh yeah, there's people." There's, there's even <laughs> that varying it's, degree of, "All right, I bought the liner in, I potted it in a peat-free soil, but was the liner grown mm-hmm. in peat?" Yeah. Like, at what degree are you expecting that answer? And I think it's going to be a quite a few years before you're consistently finding yep. a peat free. If you yeah. can find yeah. it, yeah, that's fantastic. I'm not mm-hmm. saying it don't exist. It's just hard, but it should become more yeah. readily available as the research goes in and the technology improves mm-hmm. to be able to incorporate passive. Yep. You know, we talked about again, this is another pit moss, which is the paper mm-hmm. peat moss. That's a fantastic alternative, but you have to change the way you do yeah. growing to incorporate it so it's not just i'm going to take this out and put this in yeah. you and have to change these, practices as well Yeah, a lot of these um the companies that are creating the replacements say hey it's not a one-for-one replacement yeah a lot of times what what's going to work best from a growing medium is you replace a portion of say it's your mix was was 60 percent of it was peat before yeah. and you want to put in some of this replacement they'd say oh Go 50-50 with it. So now you're 30% peat and 30% pit moss hydrofiber, yeah. uh, other kind of wood fiber. Um, and this is, again, this, a lot of this stuff that's the replacements big business is coming up with, it's not like they don't have uh, – it's a, a money-making tool, but it's yeah. not like they don't have um, environmental's best interest in mind at the same time All the, sometimes. Yeah. So – no, it's it's a lot to think about. Oh, yeah. It's, I think, think, listen, we just debate – not debated it, but we just discussed it for probably 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Yes. So yep. it's it's fantastic things to think about. Again, the, the poll will go up on Monday. Uh, make sure you, you go to the Facebook group and vote because – And, of course, the choice is yours. Stay tuned for more of the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. 
Welcome back to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. All right, I am thinking listener shoutouts. Listener, listener, shout out. Tom, I'm going to let you go first. All right. Yeah, so we had a one five star review on Apple, which was from. With a one, one, one five star review with. Of a write up. Yeah, a, yeah, a write up, yeah. Which was uh, Oak and Delu. Um, and, uh, and they liked how. We weren't native plant purists, which uh, if you asked us three years ago, maybe we were. I, I would have <laughs> said, yeah. Yeah. I, I probably would have said yes. But I, I appreciate that they they commented on our approach yeah. to to this information, and they appreciated that. And I, I appreciate our listeners noticing that. Yes. Yeah. So thank yeah. you. So, and then uh, then the other one we had Brad Mudd on Spotify. Our buddy ben, uh, Brad, Brad Madrinsky. Yeah. And um, did we sing him happy birthday? Or didn't what, we, we said happy, him a happy birthday? I think we wished him a happy okay. birthday. And then uh, said the, the last episode was perfect as always and extra chatty, which he likes. So. And that was on Spotify. You yep. can. They, they you did can interact. Start... Yeah, you can interact. With uh, each episode. If we don't generate a question, Spotify will generate a question for us so you can go in and answer the question. And it's – I think their their automated response is, what do you think of this episode? Yeah, so, which I, I – friend, I don't even know how I can interact with it. I don't know, but a couple people have figured it out. It's called the Q&A. Um, yeah, I got to figure out how to see this. Yeah. And uh, I have no idea. <laughs> let's, try, let's try playing it. Let's see what happens. And if I go here, no, nothing there. No, that just adds it to my my saved episodes. All right, Brad, how how were you able to comment? Let us know. <laughs> yeah. That way we can share with our I listeners wanna, I wanna, on Spotify. Yeah, I want to comment too. So I have a bunch of listener shout-outs today, and there's a reason for it. I want to thank Ed Betts, Jeremy Johnson, Christopher Ryland, Denise Alvarez, Becky Donaldson, Dave Bennett, and all the others that voted Team Fran. In our poll on the Facebook group on which team were you voting for uh, during a native plant every day. And I find this interesting that I don't know why, but Christiane and I each had nine votes. But the Facebook poll, when it broke the percentage out, said I had 38 percentage of the votes and Christiane had 37 percent of the vote. Now, so technically, I do have a question for you, friend. Yes. I saw that you were soliciting votes, one. Did I solicit votes? You did. You did. Because, uh, and maybe it was off the record, because I saw well, at least one of the votes was from your wife. Oh, she voted, but yeah. she saw it and she voted. Yeah, I didn't yeah, solicit yeah. it. Actually, I, I I might have groaned a little bit. So when you count in, and then didn't you and vote for yourself? Too? I did, but you voted for Christiane. Christiane yeah, voted for you. Exactly. I oh, had to Christiane have a vote, and I voted for myself, yeah. Yeah, I didn't really pay attention to it. And you each voted for the cricket as well. I, voted, I did vote so for the cricket. So you voted twice, yeah. which is unfair well, as well. Why did you make it that you could vote I only twice voted, in the rules? I only voted once. Yeah. <laughs> but the the final tally was Fran 38%, Christiane 37%, Tom 16%, and the cricket had 9% of the vote. So I'm going to take it, although if you take – my wife's vote out of there. I, well, why I, wouldn't you take your own vote out of there too? Well, then I voted for another person. But you voted, and Christiane voted. We yeah. each voted. There are th- 
three choices at the time, and we each vote it, and we each vote it for someone different. All right, all right. I think it's like one of those those grade school things. Like you can vote for anyone, but not yourself. Like, all right, yeah, all right, all right. Well, <laughs> I okay. Just I'll wait. Take, I'll Just take wait till my loss. secret, and you'll get more votes. I'll, I'll take. I'll take the loss. <laughs> I'll take the loss. I'm pretty sure Christiane won. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she won, too. A lot of people were Team Christiane. I was which Team was... Christiane. I loved it when... Well, I didn't really care if she could stump me. It was more, in particular, that she could stump you. That's what, Christiane uh... is very competitive, even more so when it comes to me. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's definitely... She takes a lot of pride uh, in, in besting me. Which I appreciate that. So, and she does a very good job at it, also. So, speaking of take it or leave it, I put oh, this. I did want to add that oh, everyone yeah. who didn't vote for me is now on my list. <laughs> remember, remember that the list opposite of listener in Billy shout <laughs> It's the opposite of listener shout outs, it's the revenge list. Yeah. <laughs> The Billy Madison list. Oh, I can see Tom there with a, a list of people that didn't vote. That would be funny. Um, all right. Take it or leave it. We've covered so many things on take it or leave it that that's probably the hardest part of of prepping for the next show is coming up with a take it or leave it. And in conversations, like looking at Oglinda Deuce, uh Review of us uh, commenting that they appreciate that we're not purists and talking about some of these other things. I wanted to see how you felt about native plant purists, that if it was helpful or a detriment to spreading the word of native plants. Hopefully I don't talk myself in circles here. I think overall I think it's helpful. There's always that one. I was going to say. But it's not. It, it comes down to the person. Yeah. I think sometimes. Yeah. It's, um, you have people who are, are like, I, like I used to be, a, I still am a native plant purist. If I'm given the choice, I'm going to plant something, uh, like locally, locally sourced seed grown plant, like what we yeah. just talked about in my article. Um, now I have unlimited access to that. Now I, you know, I'll go outside of those bounds occasionally, but very, very occasionally. Yeah. It's like, and I feel bad doing it. Um, but, uh, but like, it's like it's got to serve. I'm a very, uh, as a gardener, I was just thinking about this the other day. I, I like plants that that do something for me, whether it's like something I can, yeah, or, or make a drink out of, or. Um, or just gives me like joy knowing that I'm helping the environment. Um, but there's stuff like ground covers where I don't have a lot of access to those. So I have to go outside of my normal box there. So it's like, I would say if I, if I didn't have to, I wouldn't, but I kind of have to. Yeah. So that's where I have a lot of cultivars mixed in is usually in the ground cover layer. Um, yeah. I don't like, I don't, I don't really, I but, would say, but, I'm say but say you're putting that in, and, and taking replacing lawn with it, you just mm-hmm. did good. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, you you, you want to see the benefit in all of it. I I think 
my issue with it sometimes, and I, I, I say it's a benefit. Yeah. Um, my issue with it sometimes isn't the person. It's my own sensitivity to it because we're in the industry and it's what we do. And we've seen people turn people off mm-hmm. to native plants by being a strict purist. Yeah. Sometimes I'm sensitive to a comment that I'm the only one looking at it the way that it is. Like say someone posts something and then you start getting a bunch of comments. Well, there's this, there's this, there's this. And you're like – I look at it sometimes and I go, that's obvious. Stop. Don't don't be – they probably know this. Yeah. Don't, don't jam it down their throat. Let them do it. And then I look at it and go, I'm probably the only one thinking that yeah. <laughs> because – I'm sensitive to it, mm-hmm. um, and I never comment. And it's just my perception. You, it's hard to to take what people think via text or social media. Yeah, you're you're reading it with your own inflection mm-hmm. uh, of intent sometimes, which you can't necessarily. You're not accurate. Like, uh, uh, there's no way I can I can guess what everyone was oh, yeah. meaning. Yeah, a lot of it's good intentioned and re- good reinforcement. But I just feel like – I don't know. Yeah, it's, I guess it's – Sometimes when, I feel it's too much for a beginner. When you really think about it, and um, this is going to be a verbal meme here, is it's a Venn diagram, and it's it's your native plant purists and the people who just like are like, actually <laughs> – and but in, in, a, yeah. in a very condescending way. Yes. It does a condescending actually, like not a not – a, oh, you might want to know this. Like, there's a big differentiator there between the people who are like, oh, well, this is something I thought you might want to know, and the people who are like, oh, you're actually pretty dumb because you didn't know this. Um, Venn diagram, <laughs> native plant purists, and the the condescending actually people. How much does that cross over? I don't know. I don't know. It's, I don't know. I don't know. But it's the people in the middle. Those are the ones I don't <laughs> like that are native plant purists. <laughs> well, but he, native plant purists as a whole, I, I, I would aspire to be more of one. I already am. One in a sense, I aspire to be even better at it. But I'm I give my I cut myself a break sometimes. Yeah, everyone I, has has yeah. their their guilty uh, pleasures. Listen, here's a perfect example. I I'm a member of another. Uh, it's not all native, but another plant group. And someone asked for help, and they said they were in the D.C. area. And someone commented, "Where's D.C." And they're like, Washington, D.C., what What else do you think? And he goes, I'm not from your country. Yeah. I don't know what D.C. means. Yeah. So it was – and then it led to – then instead of talking about the plant, it was 20 posts on not ridiculing someone for not knowing something yeah. or it was it, – it just got completely derailed. The plant questions never got a- yeah. answered. And I'm not blaming one person and the other. You just can't always assume. Yeah. And that was – could it have been handled differently? Yes. Yeah. It's just the stuff that I have trouble being a spectator and watching. Oh, yeah. And back to my Venn diagram, I think if you were to base it off of social media, it's a circle. <laughs> it's, it's, it is just a circle. <laughs> that was a, a I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry reference, <laughs> if anyone didn't get that. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, but which I, is a, a movie. I don't know if that's a movie that would fly nowadays probably not but um probably not but, but yeah it's i think if you pay attention on social media it is it would be very close to a circle but i don't think in actuality it is i think there's a 
a lot of, and sometimes you have people who act a lot different on social media than they would in real life. I, I think so. it's okay to be a native plant purist, but there has to be a level of tolerance yes, uh, and understanding. And like we always talk about, like it takes you a while to get to a certain point in your own understanding to accept others to get there too. But I think there's varying degrees of of the type of person that is or isn't a purist because you can go either way if they're mm-hmm. – I'm assuming that there's people out there that are anti-native plant. Oh, <laughs> There's got to be. There's got to sure. be. So there's varying level degrees of all of this. Yeah. I, I would like it to be somewhere in the middle as far as – you can be a purist but have understanding of, of people that are and, and go from there. So mm-hmm. I I don't know. I, I'm I'm for it with an asterisk. Yeah, I think there's always an exception to the rule. Yeah. Yeah. And and don't don't be in the middle of my Venn diagram here. <laughs> I need to go like there's gotta be like a Venn diagram like maker website. E-maker, yeah, yeah Venn diagram. I'm sure there is. Uh-huh. I'm sure there is. All right, I I want to I want to end the show because I want to hear your secret. All right, so uh, where am I on this on this big script of ours? All right, yeah, here we are. So thank you for joining us today. Oh, what do I usually say? I'm like, that is it. That and that and wraps that, us up. Yeah. yeah, and that wraps us up for today. <laughs> thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening. To the buzz. Thank you everyone for listening. Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Highlands Nursery. R.J. Comer, thank you for our Buzz intro theme music. Dave Bennett, thank you for our outro uh, theme music for all their episodes. Uh, make sure you stream or buy R.J.'s music uh, wherever you consume music and check out his Americana playlist. I don't know if uh, Dave has any music that you can listen to anywhere other than the Native Plant Anthem. I wonder if he can make it available because technically yeah. it's a uh, um, – we would be co-writers. Actually, you would be co-writer. AI would AI be a co-writer? I have no how do you idea do that? How it works? Yeah, but I, I want my royalty checks. I, <laughs> can he? I'm just saying. Can he post this song on iTunes or Spotify for people to stream? I have no idea. I think I. I think I would be against that. Because okay. right now, the only way – if you want to listen to it, you need to listen to the end well, of the okay. podcast. Okay, all right. That's true. No, I'm just kidding. You no. can do whatever you want. But, like, but. If, if anyone could download that song and listen to <laughs> Let it. Let me get the aux cord. No, I need to, <laughs> like, the end of this podcast. Can it be people. like the Native Plants Healthy Planet album and it could have Dave's Dave's version of Native mm-hmm. Plant Anthem? It could have Curtis's version yeah. of Native Plant Anthem. We can come up with some other songs. I wonder if it could be a – I don't know. Yeah. Like do you have to credit AI? I have no idea. Because technically you didn't write the no. lyric. Actually, I have no credit in this because you had AI. Yeah. I just write asked it. it to write me a song, and that's what it came up with. Yeah. So, Good but question. I do want right. to, going back to the the vote that you had before. Yeah. Yes. I think you got to, I think that was another solicitation. You voted for, for Dave's song. I did. And I didn't. And that's did. probably the only reason he voted for you. So there's another vote stricken <laughs> off your list and <laughs> probably, I, given, probably given to Christiane. She didn't even have a chance to vote for his uh, son. Yeah. But listen, I, all right, I, I think I will definitely agree there's a bias with my wife with who she chose. <laughs> my wife didn't even vote. No. She didn't know. You didn't, yeah. you didn't give ample notice. We never uh, got our, our card <laughs> in the mail with voting instructions or a polling place. I did vote for myself, and I will say, in defense of both you and Christiane, before 
the two of you voted for each other, I had already voted for myself. Mm-hmm. So I did mm-hmm. I did lead off with the voting for myself. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I if you wanna if you wanna strike my vote and Agatha's vote, I would not protest. But I'm not gonna no, take away gonna Dave's vote. I'm not gonna take away Dave's vote. Like you can't say for sure. I don't well, know what his I'm, motive is. I'm saying for sure. I'm <laughs> All saying right. this was. So, yeah, you can follow the election us. Election was stolen. Was, I oh bought gosh. votes. We need to not go any further <laughs> with that topic. You can follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet, and you can also follow uh, the Pinelands Nursery Instagram at Pine at Pinelands Nursery, and also check out our YouTube page at Pinelands Nursery. Don't forget about ugh, don't forget about the question and comment line. It's actually been a few buzzes since we've had a call. Make sure you call in at 215-346-6189. You can ask a question or leave a comment. We will do our best to play that and answer it uh, on a future episode of The Buzz. And we hit a milestone, 2,000 members on Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group, which is uh, quite a milestone. And a lot of new posts. Uh, everyone, it's that time of the year where everything's in bloom. Everyone's sharing their their native plant uh, photos, and we appreciate and encourage that. And uh, keep it going over there. Uh, oh, we yeah. love that that community's growing. Uh, you can buy Native Plants Healthy Planet merch at our website www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. There's a link right at the top that'll take you to our Teespring store. And uh, I have other designs. I just like I keep saying this. I just literally haven't had a chance to actually. They're all up here. They're all in our, my noggin, and I haven't been able to put them on our, on the screen. Our coworker Christine has one for you. Oh, she, good. She brainstormed good. a good idea for uh, And she probably is a lot better at making these than I It wasn't the design, but it was the phrase. Yeah. So okay. I'll share with you after right. that. Sounds good. Um, you can listen to Native Plants Healthy Planet. Oh, yeah. Going back a page, we don't keep any of that money. I, I do like to make sure that's known. Um, this isn't a profit source for us. We don't feel it's fair for us to keep it. Uh, so we just take it and then give it to organizations we think are doing really good work. Which, friend, I did check yes. last week, and we are at a point where we can give oh, a little bit more away. That's wonderful. So, All right, we have to we have to have a discussion to figure yeah, out who we want to yeah. do that to. So, uh, Wait, who has it been so far? It's been Bowman's Hill Wildflower Bowman's Preserve, Hill, Sourland's, Sourland's Conserv- Conservancy, and Native, Native Habitat. Habitat Project. All right. So... I love uh, that we hit that that milestone. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. So you can listen to Native Plants Healthy Planet at really wherever you're listening now. But if you want to try listening someplace else, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, really wherever you consume your podcasts. Uh, do us a big, big favor and subscribe, one, um, or save us or add us, where, how, whatever you got to do on your platform. And then on Apple Podcasts and uh, really wherever you can leave a review, leave a five-star review. That does a lot. I, I kind of wrap around a little bit differently and say, hey, if you write something, I'll give you a shout-out on our Buzz episodes. Um, so write something, and I'll, I'll say nice things about you, about oh. how you said nice <laughs> things about us. <laughs> do you want to commit to the next Buzz that we do will be after our vacations? Yeah. Do you want to commit to announcing who we're donating I, to? I have a feeling we should do it the one after that. Okay. Just because and, – and – that you want to get anything, any dollars that come in between now and then, we'll, we'll give that. Not because of the new designs, because I doubt I'm going to actually have them up by then. Okay. Because I have a feeling we're going to come back from vacation and forget that we said that. <laughs> so we need to put a note in. All right. That we're going to do that, 
and then do it the one after that. Okay. All right. So, perfect. Perfect. Because, like, you understand? Does that make no, sense? No, it makes sense okay. to me. I, I um, wrote a note. Now, will I remember to put it in the, the notes? <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Yeah. So, all right. I had I do have a secret. Fran had that very, like, beautiful story. Well, I guess it was a story started out very tragically and then ended up maybe good. It was anxiety ridden for me. Well, yeah. the, the nest was empty. Yeah. So I assume that, like, at one point, one bird, I don't know, I can't remember which part of the, the story, like, where we were, if the birds were still in the nest at the time that I, I gave the secret. But mm-hmm. um, a week later, I took a peek in the nest and one bird was gone and the other bird was there. And to yep. me, it, I'm like, is that one okay? Like I couldn't mm-hmm. quite tell. And then the next day, the other bird was gone as well. Yeah. So I'm going to assume that both birds – like we could hear chirping all throughout the week, like mm-hmm. baby bird chirping. So I'm assuming that I'm going to say that they left the nest and flourished. Yeah. Okay. I I hope. Yeah, that's that's the story. I'm that's the version right. of the reality well, I'm going with. I will say if you're if you're squeamish or or like Fran's reality, you might want to just hit stop right now because this <laughs> is something that this is literally just happened at our house. Okay. Um. So this is your that's your your warning. Yes. So there's this is part's really nice. Last year we had my wife puts like a, a seasonal wreath on our door, so it has like this one has it's all. Fake flowers. Did you tell this story before? Well, I think I did, okay. but there's an update. Oh, okay. So All last right. year we had a um, a robin build a nest in this wreath. My wife left it because it's like, well, this is a cool little addition that I didn't even have to put on. Okay, so this year, doves build the. Okay. This is where I think we left off. Yeah. Doves build a nest on top of the second. Now we have two nests. In a oh, stack, okay. Right? All right. Those dovelings, whatever mm-hmm. you'd call them, they get big, they fly away, um, live in their own lives. A robin built a nest on top of the nest that was on top of the nest. <laughs> so now we have three nests. Wow. The eggs hatch, and uh, then I'm driving. I was with my dad. I'm driving back from someplace. My wife calls me, bawling on the phone, saying one of the chicks is on the ground outside of the nest. Okay. I think when I opened the door, it fell out. Oh, and I'm like, I don't know. Not something I would cry about, yeah. but I get it. You're very attached to these things. You're t- looking at them every day, taking pictures, um, showing our son. And we'll just pick it up, put it back in. The whole thing about birds can smell the you on them and will reject the thing. Complete Corn- myth. Cornell, not, not true. Cornell Lab said not. not uh, true. I don't yeah. think birds can really smell. Um, but that might be a myth. Too, what what we had read through Cornell Labs was... That, you know, if you handle them, that's not going to deter. It was you have to – don't move the nest too far away, and if yep. you disturb it too many times, they'll consider it a threat and mm-hmm. abandon it. Yeah. Anyway, she uh, hangs up the phone, put the uh, chick back in the nest, comes back. The bird's on the ground again, and she's like, well, I definitely didn't knock it out that time. Yeah. Um, and then I guess she put it back in and then saw – the mama robin pushing the the chick out of the nest, and you know, she's still very upset. Yeah. Like saw yeah. the robin push yeah. the bird out of the nest, and then uh, I grabbed my brother just because he knows more about birds than I do, yeah. and I was like, "It's probably not 
I just keep putting it back in and if it keeps pushing it out, then okay, well I'll I'll move it so yeah. it's not yeah. in your line of sight and it yeah. flew away. Um but I started to joke about that. But yeah, my brother's like, Oh yeah, robins do that because or a lot of birds will do that because they'll have young that for whatever reason they just aren't eating right or there's something wrong with them and that's their way of yeah. making sure they're giving their resources to the ones that are healthy and they have the best chance of survival. Um then he's like also, a lot of other birds will go into other nests and do that to try I, and take over the nests. I've heard that house sparrows and, and starlings yeah. will do that. So he's like, other birds will come and like, like basically peck out like the chicks of other nests and, um, and get rid of them. And then he was like, actually, just last year, he's like, crows are freaking wild <laughs> because they'll go and eat baby chicks. And he's like, I remember I was like, just like, a tr- I was looking at this tree and there's a crow and it had a, a chick that it picked out of another nest and it's just in its beak and it just kept dropping it on the ground, going down, picking it up and then picking it, going back up in the tree again, dropping it. It was like it was playing with it. And then eventually it ate it. Yeah. And uh, so well, he's like, yeah, it's, it's, well, it's the circle of life. Is how I like to look at it. Well, let me ask you Oops. this also with the the baby chick, like for because we yeah. did a lot of research after this happened, and cardinals we knew it was a seventy nine day once they hatch yeah. before they leave the nest, mm-hmm. which is really short. I didn't realize it was that short. Mm-hmm. And then was the chick that was getting knocked out of the nest? Was it too young to fly? Oh, yeah. this was its uh, first. This would it wouldn't have been twenty four hours old yet. Oh, okay. It was like its first full day of because life. Because I have read. You know, and, and Agatha and I have had this talk like robins. There were baby robins in the backyard. Yeah. Agatha's like, oh, it had to have fallen out of the nest because it definitely looks too young to fly. Mm-hmm. Actually, it was um, house finch. It yeah. wasn't robins. It was house finches. But you could see there were multiple ones, and the parents were around. And it it was – you know, we looked up, and it said, oh, a lot – this is part of their yeah. learning experience. They don't – they had to build up. Yeah, the, the endurance the to fly and, and the strength, and this is part of the learning. They're not mm-hmm. going to fly right away. Don't move them. Don't touch them. Let them. Yep. Let them experience. They the parents need them to experience yeah. this. So I didn't know if it was at that stage where it was maybe they were knocking them out, like mm-hmm. it should be flying, and it just. But you're saying it was so young that. Oh yeah, I, yeah. That was not. It was. They had hatched maybe the afternoon, evening, the day before. Wow. This was like there, there was four eggs in the nest. Only two of them had hatched so far. Oh, is, is, wow. It was like right. it, this bird was getting kicked out because yeah. something was up with it. Um, and then I started thinking about them. Like, realistically, baby birds are just like the little Snickers bars for so many things. Like, there's, there's, they're young. They're yeah. mobile. They're very soft. Um, that's like yeah. a nice little morsel yeah. for some another kind of predator that can get to it. And, uh, and that's really important, too. It's uh, we we. It's all part of that. I that whole uh, Hal Herzog book that some we love, some we hate, and some we eat. Like really well, got in my psyche. And I'm like, why? Why should I care more about this little baby bird than the thing that's trying to eat it? Didn't we have a conversation about young turkey and how many actually? Oh yeah, it's like 25 percent make it because it's yeah. getting ate, eaten by raccoons and fox and snakes yeah. and all kinds of stuff. But like that's an important part. Until we had Captain Al on. Think talking about um, to align to this with something, but with uh, horseshoe crabs, I'm like, oh yeah, horseshoe crabs, an Asian thing. They're important because we can use their blood to create medicines and all this stuff. And then it just and then I completely not. 
glossed over the fact, oh, they're important because so many things eat their eggs. Yeah. And if we don't have them, we don't have the eggs, and then all these other species that need to eat the eggs yeah. go away. And, and all the species that eat them go away. I, I understand that and, like, yeah. completely understand that. I think why I was so invested in the Cardinals from the last one was that I didn't want to be the reason yeah, yeah, that yeah. they didn't make it. So, And I've, I've come – as a hunter, one of the, the things – I've come to terms with is you just you try and do everything perfectly so you can make sure that when you harvest an animal, the the kill is really fast, yeah. as fast as possible, and then nothing is. I, I'd always thought nothing. I don't want anything to go to waste. Right. I want to be able to find it quickly so I can take it and consume it. Yeah. Then I don't know. It just kind of clicked for me one day. I'm like, that's not even if I I hit one yeah. and it it I can't find it for whatever reason. It's not necessarily going to waste because how much life did I just create with all the insects and fungi and all the things that are going to consume that animal? And then turkey vultures animal, or whatever. Turkey yeah. vultures, all this other stuff that's going to be able to consume that animal um, that we have way too many of on our landscape in New Jersey. So did was it really a waste or was it just a waste because I didn't get it? Yeah. Like it, in one – in a roundabout way, you can consider that I wasn't able to find it was actually more impactful for the environment than that I, that I was. Yeah. Um, and that's not just me trying to feel better about not being able to get it, but I think there's there's just like, same thing with roadkill. Like it's, It's, there's a reality, there's a reality to it that so many other things like those maggots would not be able to live. And I know a lot of people don't like maggots, but they wouldn't be able to live and create whatever they're going to grow up into, whether it's flies or, or other kind of beetles, whatever they wouldn't have existed if I didn't make I wasn't able to find that animal. Well, I I think I told you last year there was the milkweed plants. Agatha was harvesting the secondary milkweed plants coming yeah, up, yeah. and she was giving them away to coworkers mm-hmm. or friends. Yeah, and she got them in the house in a jar, and there was a monarch caterpillar which ended up going into its chrysalis mm-hmm. and then hatching. Yeah, and we were like proud parents, and we're taking I have my camera, yeah. we're taking photos, and a bird swooped down and got it. Yep. I don't know if I ever <laughs> like yeah. oh, and yeah. didn't quite kill it because it kind of like dropped it, but it like destroyed one mm-hmm. of the wings, and then it wasn't quite right after that. Yeah. It, it just didn't. Yeah. You know, we tried to to nurse it back, and it yeah. was just like that's it's part of the reality. Caterpillars are food. Like you talk about yeah. lepidoptera and, feeding and no one, chickadees. Yeah, no one thinks about like with the monarch butterflies. I've thought about that too, and I don't. I haven't really dug into it, but it was like, are they really important because of what they are? Or they're important because they can be food, yeah. and I think it's some of both. It's it it's always it's never a black or white answer. No, it's it's not. Yeah. It's it's all part of it, and it's it's not necessarily the answer you want to see. Yeah. So yeah, I don't like I said with the cardinals. I know one was gone. The other one, I looked in there, and it had grown. I, I'm 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 guessing it was sleeping. The second mm-hmm. one because it was gone like the very next day, and it wasn't on the ground. It wasn't in pieces. So. I'm assuming that one left the nest, the other one left the day after, and it was it was all good. That's the story I'm sticking with. Yep, yep. So, all right. but yeah, no, that was my secret. <laughs> like I said, the complete opposite <laughs> friend's secret last week. But um, but no, it, was just, it literally just happened. Uh, I think it was last like Thursday. Wow. So wow. I was taking my dad to or picking him up from the car dealership. He was getting getting some work done. So, all right. Well, cool. thank you, everyone. I'm Tom. And I am Fran. Thanks again, everyone. Coming up next week, I'm not sure. We, it's going to be one or two options of what you're getting. 
we have two things planned, and I'm not sure which one it, it will be, but it will be something cool. So make sure you tune in again next time, and until then, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planted Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.